I mean, as far as the food waste issue, there's plenty of companies that are trying to tackle it. A lot of them are, are kind of in little niche zones. Like you can think of some companies that are dealing with byproduct of coffee. You get some companies that are dealing with juicing and byproducts of that. So as far as the dehydration space, we're kind of the only player in it right now, which is twofold. Obviously, it's good for us in business, but it makes sense on the other side because it's such a capital intensive space and there's so many regulatory pieces you have to get through. And just even knowing how to dehydrate everything individually, it's tricky. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with TJ Galliardi, co-founder and CMO of Outcast Foods, about the explosive growth of his brand and the upcycling movement. I'm TJ Galliardi, co-founder and CMO of Outcast Foods, the world's first sustainable nutrition company that is disrupting the status quo of needless food waste. Nice. That's awesome. Thanks for uh, joining me, TJ. I'm excited to chat with you for many reasons because Outcast Foods is, you know, leading in more like plant-based nutrition, but also sustainability and upcycling. And there's also some amazing sales that you've been posting up lately. So lots of different angles that we can chat about. But before we get dive super deep into the business side, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about your background. I know you come from not the normal background for launching a food company, like you were a chef or an MBA student or something like that. <laughs> and then uh, I know you also have a partner, so it'd be fun to talk about both how you got into food and nutrition first, but in your kind of history before starting the company, but also how you met your partner and, and how things kind of came to be with Outcast. So maybe yeah, we'll just start with more of your personal history. Yeah. So as you alluded to, I'm not a food scientist or an engineer like most people in, in the food and ag tech space. I'm a retired professional hockey player. I played 10 years pro and seven years in the NHL on four different teams. Played in Russia my last two years as well. So not your traditional route to get into this space, but kind of stumbled into it and definitely love it now and wouldn't change a thing. As far as kind of how Outcast came to fruition, you do have to take a few steps back to see how I met my co-founder, Dr. Darren Burke. It was 2008 or 2009. It was my first year in the NHL. And in the offseason, my, my strength coach suggested I, I connect with, with this guy out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, East Coast, Canada, who had started a supplement brand and was growing rapidly. And he, he was starting to sell to pretty much every professional team in the major five sports. So I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to him and gave him a call. And he happened to answer the phone and he happened to be in my hometown that day of, of Calgary. So, this is an odd thing, but we met at a steakhouse. And I say it's odd because Darren and I are both vegan now. So we, we always have a laugh about that and how far we've come since those days. And that was kind of the start of a, a great friendship and, and business relationship over the years that, that eventually blossomed into Outcast Foods. But as I said, he had started a supplement company back then and 
he was a university professor turned entrepreneur, started it with $50,000 line of credit. And I think in the fifth year, he was doing almost $25 million in revenue. So great success story. And the two of us always kept in touch over the years, did a few uh, business deals together, mainly angel investing and some real estate stuff. And then he sold that business and the, his non-compete kind of paralleled with the end of my hockey playing career. And we knew we wanted to do something together. We just didn't know exactly what it was and knew it had to be in the plant-based vegan space. And one thing that we kept seeing was was food waste and all the problems around it. You kept seeing magazine clippings and internet posts about all these crops going to waste and you'd see these massive trucks dumping perfectly edible produce into the, into a landfill or it going to animal feed at best and no one was talking about a solution. So the two of us had an extremely simplistic idea of how to end food waste and so simplistic that we figured there were multiple companies already doing it. And to our shock and amazement, no one was doing it. And the idea was to take, to partner with these companies that were wasting the, the fruits and vegetables for whatever reason they had, whether it was best if used by date, supply chain issues, logistics issues, procure their fruits and vegetables from them, dehydrate them and give them a two to three year shelf life. So as I said, very simplistic, but actually very complicated. It took us the better part of two years to come up with our own dehydration process because if you're in the sustainability space, it has to be energy efficient. So we had to come up with our own process for that and worked with the National Research Council in Canada, worked with a couple of universities and created as many partnerships as we could. And here we are three years later with a, a thriving business in a space that is very hot. That's amazing. <laughs> it's always fun hearing like how those stories come together. But one thing that kind of struck me is you met at the steakhouse at first. So obviously <laughs> you were both meat eaters. So where did the kind of vegan or even just kind of plant-based shift come from? And was yeah. that kind of parallel with each other since you were in contact the whole time? Yeah, I mean, I think I made the the full jump first before him. And it was mainly because my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she was kind of one of the original vegans. I say it was kind of before veganism was, was really on anyone's mind. We would go to restaurants and she would tell the, the waiter or waitress kind of her dietary restrictions. And it was, we'd always get that odd look from them being like, is this person crazy? And I, I almost had that look too. I was like, every time I'm like, oh, here we go. What are we even going to find on the menu? And I think over the years, it just kind of slowly dripped into my life through a bit of osmosis from her. And it, it really started as performance for me. I, I, I didn't really think about the environmental issues or the animal issues. It was mainly just how can I feel better on the ice? How can I recover faster? On and on on that side. But I just started slowly taking things out of my diet and feeling better. And before I knew it, one day I said, all right, I'm done and haven't looked back since then. And I, I think it's been seven years or so and I'll never touch meat again in my life. Nice. Did you get a lot of pushback from your teammates? Because I know that's, or at least it, historically, it's been a bit, bit controversial in the sports kind of athletes field where they think they need so much protein that they have to pound a bunch of meat. But, mm -hmm. you know, a lot more athletes are coming out these days talking about their vegan or, or vegetarian diets and, and how they feel actually better on it. 
Yeah, when I was in the NHL, I, I think you got the odd look from guys being like, oh, yeah, you need a steak to feel good or you need chicken before a game so you can feel good. But no one really bothered me there. Everyone was fine. And it was almost the opposite where a lot of guys were supportive and, and wanted to actually try out some of the foods that I was having and see if it made a difference for them. And I think that was a sign of, of the transition that was coming. As you as you said before, There's there's been a lot of highly successful pro athletes who have come out and said, Hey, I'm, I'm on a plant-based or fully vegan diet. And I'd venture to guess that now there's probably five, six, seven, eight guys on every single pro team that are vegan and they just don't really talk about it because they don't want to deal with any sort of pushback. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You touched on the, the food waste issue of why you jumped in there, but beyond being a good business opportunity, like all these fruits and vegetables and such were going to waste and maybe there was something you could do about it. What fired you up about solving that problem? Was Did you always have some sort of sustainability or social impact kind of bent or was it the opportunity more? I think once you switch to to that plant-based lifestyle, you start to look at other things and, and obviously the environment is one of them. Darren and I had kind of always talked about trying to find a way to make an impact because, you know, the both of us have had some pretty interesting paths and being a professional hockey player, I've had some success and Darren with his business as well. So it was how can we make a, a real socially conscious enterprise that's that's going to make a difference lasting effect right so and it seemed like food waste was kind of that low-hanging fruit that no one was working on so that's why we got into it and obviously the opportunity is hard to hard to look away from you know there's billions of tons of food going to waste every single year and we looked at that as an opportunity yeah that makes sense have there been any big challenges in terms of trying to figure out how to do that model or was it literally just low-hanging fruit it was just sitting there and like waiting for somebody to figure out how to do this no i i wish i don't know how long we have on this podcast to talk <laughs> about all the challenges but there's certainly been plenty i think just the original thought was these companies are wasting fruits and vegetables they're paying a tipping fee to get rid of it so so expense and it's also pretty ugly on the pr side it's going to be easy to get as many of these partnerships as we can and we were definitely wrong on that front it took years it, it took over 18 months to get our grocer partner on board some of the farms that we're working with took a very long time to kind of just explain to them the benefits of of not wasting the fruits and vegetables. People get stuck in their in their traditional mindset and and system of doing things and they don't want to make change. So it was tricky on that part and then the technology was a whole other beast. When you're dealing with regulatory pieces around waste, even though the product that we're getting is great shape, it looks better than most of the product that would be on the shelves at your your local Whole Foods or Sobeys or whatever grocery store you go to. But just when you bring that word waste into the system, then you're dealing with some people that are worried about mold and microorganisms. And it, it took us a while to get through that hurdle as well. But we have our FDA approvals, we have our CFIA approvals, organic certification, so on and so forth now. Nice. And, you know, luckily it's at a time where upcycling is becoming a pretty big trend from a few years ago when nobody was, or people were barely using the word upcycling, even, even if upcycling is a way to preserve food or, or extend food's life or use, you know, everything that you have has been around for a while. It just hasn't been a movement that people talked about in building businesses around. But 
as of late, obviously the Upcycled Food Association launched, which you've been a part of, and that's starting to grow and there's a lot more interest around it. Were you using the term upcycled from the very beginning? And have you found like in the early days, people needed some convincing, but now that there's some momentum around it, is it easier to convince partners to come on board? Yeah, when Darren and I came up with the idea on the back of the napkin, I don't think either of us even knew what the word upcycling meant. So it took us a while to figure that one out. And I think we were maybe the third or fourth member of the Upcycled Food Association. So we've got to be on the ride with them as as they've grown. And it's really cool to see them well over 100 members now. And they've done a great job at advocating for upcycling and, and really spreading the word and raising awareness around it. So it's made our lives easier when we talk to people. I think people would always confuse upcycling and recycling a lot. Mm-hmm. And even though there's some synergies there, but now it has its own cachet now and everyone knows what it is and everyone wants to be a part of it because it's such a such an important mission. Nice. Have you found now that it is becoming more popular and you discovered this opportunity, have you been seeing competitors, quote unquote, flooding into your space trying to do the same thing or did you get in early enough and, and grab enough of the market share that there's not enough room for other people? I mean, as far as the food waste issue, there's plenty of companies that are trying to tackle it. A lot of them are are kind of in little niche zones. Like you can think of some companies that are dealing with byproduct of coffee. You can get some companies that are dealing with juicing and byproducts of that. So as far as the dehydration space, we're kind of the only player in it right now, which is twofold. Obviously, it's good for us in business, but it makes sense on the other side because it's such a capital intensive space and there's so many regulatory pieces you have to get through. And just even knowing how to dehydrate everything individually, it's tricky. We do everything from avocado to zucchini and everything in between, right? So, to learn how to do all of those products, it took us a long time to come up with our own unique playbook and how to do that because you could think of dehydrating a cucumber versus a carrot is very different and it took years of iteration to, to perfect it. Wow, I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, it's not like you're getting a whole bunch of just mixed veggies and <laughs> like throwing yeah. it into your machines. It's like every single vet fruit or vegetable has its own process, its own time length, its own requirements for dehydrating. That's absolutely that's a lot of work. And then of course, coming up with the product formulation, how did that come to be? Is that more your field? Is that your partner's field? Is do you hire that out? No, uh, Darren is probably one of the most premier formulators in the planet, really. And just based off of his past, he formulated all of his products with his last company. He's formulated all of our products with uh, Outcast Foods. So it takes time to learn how to do that. And, you know, obviously he's got a PhD for a reason and has spent many years working on that. And still, even knowing all that, our protein powders, for example, it took probably I don't know, 20 different tests to get the flavors right and on each one of them. And we have five different flavors now. And let's just say I tasted a lot of protein over the years and some of it is good and some of it hasn't been good and and takes a while to land on on something that you think the majority of the population is going to like because you can't please everyone. Yeah, of course. But it seems like your people are liking it because part of the reason that we're having this chance because I saw you post some super impressive sales numbers. I think it was something to the effect of over 3,800% growth in the last year for your online sales. So 
Do you feel like a lot of that's being fueled by the plant-based movement, by upcycling movement, or just people really loving the taste and quality of your product or all the above? Yeah, I think it's a mix of everything, right? So it's almost like a perfect storm. We have the upcycling movement growing. Sustainability is so important now to consumers. It's the number two buying decision behind taste. So very important for people, especially millennials. It's also the fact that our branding is, has obviously resonated with people. Our flavors are, are good. We made a big move to, uh, to offer sample packs so people can try the protein. It's pretty amazing to see the, the transition from people buying the sample pack to buying the full two pound product. It says a lot on the formulation side and, and, and what we've been able to do as far as taste. So it's a multifaceted approach. And also we've obviously put a lot of time and effort into marketing and we're getting a lot of organic marketing from, from different news outlets reaching out and wanting to talk about our mission and our impact on food waste. Nice. So was the, Online sales growth, is that something that you were aiming for over the past year? Since COVID and brick and mortar was a little bit disrupted, a lot of companies have been trying to figure out how to increase their online sales. But I know that also <laughs> some companies just accidentally had their online sales grow and they were just struggling to keep up. So was that more of an intentional play on your end or kind of an accidental happy accident? Well, it's not like our products were featured on the Oprah show or anything like <laughs> yeah. that and our website went bananas. It's It's been more of a, a steady build for us. The branding piece has taken a lot of work. Obviously, everyone's kind of focused on, on direct-to-consumer and it's something that we've put a little more time and effort into. But to be honest with you, the retail side of our business is something that we've really been working on and expanding distribution. So we're, we, we're obviously a Canadian business and we our focus from the start has been to get all the way across Canada. We've done that and grow our sales in Canada and then get into the US. And that's something that we're about to launch in the US as well. So it's an exciting time for us. Nice. That's really cool. So I know a lot of our clients because we run a brand design studio. And so we work a lot with uh, food and beverage type clients. And a lot of them had if you sold packaged goods that were especially staples or kind of health and wellness related, like a lot of those businesses boomed because people, of course, during COVID were actually starting to pay attention to their health a little bit more and cooking or eating from home again. But a lot of those different companies would have supply chain issues or something like that pop up, you know, whether it's one of their vendors had to shut down for a little while or whether it's sourcing the ingredients that they were sourcing or whatever, like something came up. So during a over 3,800% boom, I can imagine a lot of things could go wrong during that of running out of specific ingredients or obviously other operational issues of, of scale. Did you hit any of those struggles while you were scaling that fast? Yeah, well, one of the best things about our business is we obviously control the ingredients because we're the ingredient provider. So, And there's so much food waste that there's always a plethora of, of sources where we can get our inbound surplus to be able to process. So that wasn't an issue. We did make a massive switch over the pandemic from from plastic tubs, which are the traditional packaging that you would see on protein products. And we switched completely to uh, compostable bags. So that was a big move for us. And I think we got lucky on the timing of that. We made a very large order on the bags right before 
COVID really took off and disrupted a lot of things. And the company we're getting them from is, is a North American based company as well. So we didn't have to deal with a lot of the, the shipping and logistics issues that other businesses have dealt with. You think about uh, the aluminum cans and the, the cardboard boxes that you've seen shortages on. We've been lucky on that front. That's awesome. Yeah. Having those sales numbers go through the roof and then actually being able to fulfill those orders is always, <laughs> is always great. What about wholesale or retail sales? Have those also kind of grown quite a bit during the past year or were those a little bit more stagnant? Yeah. You know, I think at the start of COVID, all retailers kind of just hit the pause button on bringing in new brands. We were lucky enough to be with some great partners in Canada that they've had success. So we've grown with them. And the new ones that we were about to go online with right as COVID basically started, those ones all took probably a full year to get back on track. So we have some big ones that we're about to go live with in Canada and in the US that really they probably just had a year off, which which kind of sucked, to be honest, as a business. But everyone dealt with their own issues with COVID. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know from, I think, an article that I read about Outcast that you are all also planning to expand like facilities or grow into different provinces or regions of Canada as well. Can you talk a little bit more about those plans? Yeah. So when we started the business, we wanted to create a proof of concept facility in, in Nova Scotia, where our, our business is located and headquartered. And we did that. It was a very small space, around 3,000 square feet. And since then, we've expanded that space, I think, five times. We're in the, in the process of doubling that space as well to be able to keep up with demand as some of our partners. And all the while, we were figuring out where we were going to build our, our scale facility and how we were going to fund it. So we, we were able to close our Series A very end of February of this year and raise $10 million from, from two VC partners. And that's given us the ability to build out a 46,000 square foot facility just outside of Toronto. And that's going to go online this summer, late August. So exciting times and definitely a step up from our, our 3,000 square foot facility that we started with. Yeah, that's, that's exciting to be able to to build out that new facility and expand growth. Do you think that'll, with the growth that you're seeing right now, do you feel like that new facility will carry you for like 10 years or is it going to be another one of those <laughs> stories where it's like, well, a year later we had to expand again? Well, I think it depends. So we have the direct-to-consumer side and retail side of our business, which is our supplements. But we also have a, a big part of our business is ingredient side that's business-to-business. Uh, -business. So we would sell carrot powder, for example, directly to a customer that's using it in a better-for-you snack. Or we would sell banana chips to a, a granola company, for example. So as that side of our business continues to grow, the feeling is, is that this facility will definitely not be our last. We're going to expand probably further out west and into the British Columbia area, maybe interior BC, where there's a lot of orchards and a lot of farms. And with those comes a lot of waste. And then from there, we'll probably step into the US and get into the 100 times size of a market and, and size of waste down south. That makes sense. And one thing that just that you just mentioned that I, I wasn't aware of. So I know that you're doing like dehydrating and powdering, but you mentioned selling banana chips too. So are you basically any type of dehydration in any form? You're kind of capable of being able to provide that for other manufacturers, but then also do you have plans to kind of continue expanding your product line to a bunch of other 
product forms? Yeah, yeah, that's keen. So we we definitely sell pieces, slices, chunks, along with powders as well. So to whatever the customer needs for whatever application it is, we can do with our technology, crunchy or chewy, which is which is pretty unique in this space. And that was also something that took us a long time, as, as I said, to come up with. So we're happy with that side and it continues to grow. And then as far as expanding into different applications and products on our own, there's definitely a lot of iteration going on on that side. And as I said earlier, Darren is, is that master formulator and he's always got some new product up his sleeve. And it's always fun to get some a package and open it up. And it's something that, that Darren has, has been working on and try out some of his, his mad scientist creations. Nice. So speaking of his mad science creations, do you think that more of the inspiration for new products or, or new offerings come from finding a supply of something that's kind of sitting out there that you didn't have access to before, like a, a new farmer relationship or something like that, where all of a sudden you're going to be flushed with a bunch of carrots, for example, hmm. you didn't have before. And then you come up with products based on that or are you coming up with products that you think the market will want or talking to potential other manufacturers or retailers about what they need and then you go out and source the ingredients for that? Yeah, I think it's the latter. We're always looking at market trends and kind of gaps in the in the space. And I'm at the grocery store every other day, basically, just kind of walking the aisle, seeing what's out there. And Darren's the same. So just kind of figuring out what we think's missing out there and also talking to our retailer partners and saying, hey, what do you guys want? It seems like everyone is definitely interested in sustainability and, and food waste reduction, especially the retailers. So just finding ways to make a bigger impact on that side. That makes sense. And I know that the within the upcycling food space, there's few different territories that people are carving out. So there's the surplus space, which I believe is your current focus. But then there's also byproduct space, which some other companies are focusing on. As you've been building out and scaling your manufacturing, are you finding any of your own byproducts that end up becoming another upcycling opportunity within your supply chain? Well, I think for us, like our byproduct would be, you know, less than 1% because we only accept product that we know we can use. We'd never want to bring in, let's say, a truckload of cauliflower and waste 50% of it because we didn't have a, a customer that wanted it or that we weren't able to process it in time. So the product that we get is basically processed immediately. So we have a very low waste level. But as far as like different processors that are by using bike product or that they have by product, we, we work with, I think we're at almost 10 food processors right now. They're all fruit, fruit and vegetable companies. So a good example is a company that makes baby carrots. It's basically just shavings of normal carrots. We can take their byproduct and we do. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. What do you, foresee right now with all the expansion that you're talking about, what do you foresee as your biggest challenges coming up in terms of scaling the business? I think for us, the biggest challenge so far has been being able to fulfill the needs of the truly large companies, the multinationals of the world. So they're not interested in making an order of, you know, say 10,000 pounds, like they're looking for millions of pounds of product. And that wasn't something we were able to do out of our, our small little Nova Scotia facility. But we're going to be processing over a million and a half pounds a month in our Ontario facility. So definitely being able to unlock some of those large customers and 
once you do that and you start to get orders from them, that's when you're making a, a truly massive impact on food waste. And that's been our goal since the beginning. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there ever like a ceiling based on what you're doing since you are, you're not just placing an order for carrots for farmers to start growing right now so that you can use them when they harvest it? You're there to pull food waste out of the system. So it, from what you're seeing right now, is there a ceiling that you can only grow to so much because there will only be so much supply? Yeah, a good example I can give you for that is we had a company reach out and, and they were looking for 11 million pounds of, of broccoli powder. So for us, we only will ever use upcycled product. We'd never go to a broccoli farmer and buy grade A product from them. So we have a, a few farms that we have partnerships with and one of them is a truly massive farm as, as far as what they what they produce and uh, had the conversation with them and said, well, if we need 11 million pounds of powder, the yield is usually between 10 and 20%. So on a conservative approach, we'd need 110 million pounds of, of surplus broccoli. So the question to him was, do you have that? And he came back and said, well, can you use the stalks and the leaves? to go along with the florets as well. And we said, yeah, we've actually done studies on that as almost an identical nutritional profile. So yeah, we could. And he said, well, I can get you that easily. So that just gives you an idea <laughs> of the scale of waste. And that's just one farm, right? So there's plenty available. I think when the multinationals start ordering, let's say a hundred million pounds <laughs> of broccoli powder, I think we're gonna have to get creative and work with more farms, grow our reach of our surplus. but there's so much waste out there, right? Like, I don't think we're going to have an issue sourcing anytime soon. That just kind of like blows your mind too when you think about it. Before companies like Outcast out there using this, that's the sheer volume of food waste that's out there in the world. Because I know people are always throwing out stats of how much food is wasted. But for the average person, it's hard to wrap your mind around that. But, but for you to yeah. tell that story of one farm being able to <laughs> supply that much excess pieces of broccoli and whatever is just mind-blowing. That's huge. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So um, I know you've been experiencing just ridiculous growth right now. Do you feel like as COVID settles down or as people get back to work or as other competitors come in the space that those numbers might slow down a bit in your projections? Or do you feel like you're just here at the right time and if as long as you can keep up with operations that you'll keep experiencing that level of growth? Yeah, I, I think we're just, we're seeing like the tip of the iceberg here for what Outcast can do and our potential. We're working with some pretty small companies, I'd say on the, on the B2B side and even the bigger companies we're working with, let's say 100, 200 million dollar companies, we're still barely supplying them with what they could be getting from us. So once we get into that upper echelon and working with with either the multinationals directly or start working with some of the big flavor houses and ingredient houses to supply them with our upcycled ingredients, then you're going to see true growth for Outcast Foods and us start to take a big chunk out of the food waste problem. But as far as right now, you know, I think we've done barely even close to what we, what Darren and I know we can. That's amazing. Well, I appreciate what you're all doing and, and the fact that you're able to scale that fast is just amazing because I know a lot of companies would trip and fall, either not be able to get financing to fuel that growth or not be able to find the supply or not be able to keep up with operations or, or something like that. So kudos to you both on 
being able to pivot and continue scaling and continue like keeping up with that pace. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I think we got through the hardest part, which was COVID. And, and now it's only up from here. Yeah. So what's the uh, future look like for Outcast? Do you have any? I mean, we talked about your expansion growth, but do you have any other exciting plans that you're working towards? Yeah, I think we'll continue to see new facilities popping up for us over the next couple of years here, grow the distribution of our brand, some new products will come into the market and really just you'll start to see Outcast a little more front facing in the news. And whenever someone hears the story, I think they have the same reaction. They say, okay, wow, that's that's a great idea. And, and wow, I can't believe no one else has done that. So we're just out there kind of shouting as loud as we can about Outcast Foods and getting people along the ride for our mission. Nice. That's awesome. So the title of the show is Evolve CPG because we talk to leaders like yourself who are helping evolve the consumer packaged goods space, but it's also, you know, partly an ethos of evolving personally and professionally as well. And I think what's interesting about your story is that you evolved from meat eater to vegan and that you've evolved from a hockey player to a business owner with a massively scaling company. What kind of attributes of your past do you feel like have have helped fuel your success in your current roles. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that movie Slumdog Millionaire where all of your experiences culminate to kind of what you are now and they make it possible for you to be able to be successful in whatever your current venture is. And I think everything from hockey to my upbringing has definitely all come come together to make my business life a success so far and just resilience being able to work hard and not get too high and too low because that's something in in business that's so easy to fall into is, you know, you think, wow, this meeting's so important. Everything's riding on this. Or if we get this new retailer on board, things are going to be great and the business is going to skyrocket. So it's just to be able to stay kind of even keel. That's probably been the most important thing that's that hockey has taught me is just don't ride the roller coaster so much. Just enjoy the ride. Nice. That's good advice. Speaking of advice, do you have any advice for other companies looking to either get into upcycling or trying to figure out how to unlock their own growth? Yeah, I mean, the upcycling space is hot. There's so many opportunities. I I love seeing the new companies that are popping up and finding a great use for a product that I didn't even know was being wasted or didn't even know was edible. So it's exciting to see that. But I think the biggest thing is just add value to your partners. So for us, it's been saving them tipping fees, giving them great PR. So find a way to to add value and makes it a lot easier to come up with these unique partnerships. Nice. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time coming out to share your story with the Evolve community. And I appreciate what you and your partner, Darren, are doing for the world and solving this food waste problem, and which obviously we we both know is big helper for reversing climate change or getting that under control. So thanks for doing what you do. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to watching where your growth continues. Thanks for having me on, Gage. I appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about TJ or his company, go to outcastfoods.us.